Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be ending our service with communion, so our ushers are coming. If you have not received the cup uh, and the bread to participate, uh, please just let them know, and we're going to conclude in our communion this morning. Our focus today, as we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, is worship, worship. And Jesus is going to tell us about two kinds of worship. Worthless worship and worthy worship. Worthless worship and worthy worship. And sometimes it's almost impossible, maybe impossible, for us to tell the difference as we observe but not for God as he observes. Many years ago, when I was just first in ministry, I was on staff at a church in Finley, Ohio. Every couple weeks or so, we'd have staff lunch together, opportunity to talk and plan, and also gave opportunity just to learn from the pastor who'd been there for so many years. And I remember, I don't know why, asking the pastor one day, I asked him this question at lunch. Pastor, what would you do if someone was giving a huge amount of money every week and then just suddenly stopped? I mean, what would you do? And pastor said, well, that would be very, very difficult. I'm not, I'm not sure. That would be hard. Two weeks later, we were out for that lunch, and he said, do you remember that question you asked of me? And I said, yes. He said, well, we're about to find out. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've just found out this past week that someone who attends our church every week and has attended for many, many years who has been putting $1,000 a week in the offering. Now, this was 1982. $1,000 a week, every offering this past week has been arrested for defrauding banks <laughs> and operating his business in an illegal manner. So we're about to find out. Now, the rest of that story, let me make sure, tell you the rest of the story. That man was convicted and sent to prison. But in prison, he turned his life once again to Jesus Christ. He served his time after he was released from prison with the help of some Christians. He started another business and that business became a platform for the gospel, amazingly used, not just in that area of Ohio, but really around the country. Rest of the story is always important, isn't it? It's not over. As long as someone will turn their heart to Christ. Now, the lesson from that, though, honestly, is there can be very 
significant religious practices of people like us. But those practices can either be worthless or worthy. And so here, King Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's calling his disciple citizens, citizens of the kingdom, his disciples, to worthy worship. And he gives three examples, three examples of the most basic expressions of Jewish worship in that day. What were they? Giving, fasting, and praying. Giving, fasting, and praying. All of these are wonderful. All of them are ordained of the Lord. All of them are worthy, but they have the potential to be worthless. What could make such acts of worship, such as giving, fasting, praying, worthless to God? Well, Jesus said, what determines whether worship is worthy or worthless is one thing. One thing. And that is the motive. The motive in our hearts. That's what God sees. Listen to Jesus, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now notice what Jesus warned about. He warned about practicing righteousness to be seen. That's the key phrase, to be seen by people. That word to be seen is actually, those words to be seen are actually one Greek word, theomai. And we get our word theater from it. You could say Jesus is condemning play religion. Religion which is like a play that is performed for spectators to be admired by others. That's what Jesus is saying. It's righteous acts, but the motive is to be seen. Now, people can be fooled. <laughs> you remember what President Abraham Lincoln said famously? He said, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You can fool most of the people most of the time. But you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. With all due respect to that great man, may I, may I say this? Listen, you can't fool God any of the time. Amen. Never. God knows. And God wants us to know that he knows. So his son Jesus challenges his disciples regarding worthless or worthy First of all, giving. Worthless or worthy giving. Now, what is worthless giving? We are approaching 
a season of generosity. We are approaching a season of giving, special giving here at our church as we give the Jehovah Jireh offering, which starts two weeks from today and continues through the rest of the year. It's going toward the completion of our children's building that we've been about two years in the development of that. It's a very worthy goal, much needed, and will be much used by God's grace as he tarries his coming for generations to come. Boys and girls will be one to Christ and discipled in that facility. But notice what Jesus says about worthless giving. Verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now Jesus continues this idea of play acting. He calls these people who give to be seen, he calls them hypocrites. And the word hypocrite is a word that literally means to wear a mask. It became a word for an actor. Because in that day, in the theaters, people did not wear makeup to turn into a character. They wore a mask. And the mask was a presentation of the character they were playing. This is the same word here. Jesus is saying here that worthless giving is hypocritical giving because it's giving with the goal of being seen to give. Others seen. Jesus says here, they, they sound a trumpet. They sound a trumpet as they enter the synagogue or go down the street as he talks about the hypocrites. Now, there's no record of this actually happening in Jewish times. We don't have historical records of people blowing trumpets before they gave. It may very well be here that Jesus is using a play on words. Because we do know from ancient sources that in the temple, the offering boxes were shaped like trumpets. And people would come by the treasury and they would give their offerings. And perhaps Jesus is re referring to that. He's, he's saying... Be recognizing worthless worship is when you go public. You might say when you toot your own horn about your giving. Jesus says that's worthless. Now we need to be clear here. Listen carefully. Jesus is not here condemning public giving, having a public offering, public giving. Because that took place many times in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. What makes giving worthless worship is when people 
do it, Jesus says, that they may be seen by men. They do it so that others will see them. And Jesus says, guess what? That's all they're going to be getting. That's the reward. That's their reward. And this is a very, very unique word when Jesus says they have their full reward. It's taken from the banking industry and it means paid in full. So when someone gives in order to be seen by others to be giving, Jesus says paid in full because you'll get nothing else. It's all you're going to receive. Now, regardless where we give or how much we give, God wants our giving to be worthy giving. What is worthy giving like? Well, let's read verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now what, what is Jesus saying here? He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What in the world does that mean? Well, the right hand in the Middle Eastern culture at that time, and even at this time, is that it's the hand of action. It's the hand of operation and action. And so what Jesus is saying here, let your giving be so natural, so spontaneous, so prompted by the Spirit that your left hand doesn't even know about it. He's using hyperbole here. Let it be from your heart, not to be seen, spontaneous, no fanfare. Giving that honors God is giving that is done for the glory of God, and we move on. It's done out of love and not out of a desire for recognition. Again, it's not wrong to do good works in a public way. Jesus said back in chapter 5, verse 16, let your good works shine before men. The challenge is here that apart from the grace of God and walking with Him and worshiping Him, worship can be turned into self-focused idolatry, can it? And so as we give, we have to make sure that we don't give out of compulsion. We don't give out of a sense of guilt. We certainly don't give out of a sense of pride, but out of love for God who has given us all things richly to enjoy, we give. I pray that over the next many weeks of this Jehovah Jireh offering, that will be the impetus of our giving. Love for Christ Love for others. Amen. The question is whether we want to receive the recognition or do we want God to be glorified. Amen. Motives everything, folks. Now Jesus addresses giving and then he addresses another sacred expression. He talks about worthless or worthy fasting. Worthless or worthy fasting 
fasting. Let's think about fasting. Verse 16. Here's worthless fasting. Verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They're wearing the mask. Put on the unhappy face. Sad face. For they disfigure their faces. That their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. They actually would put on makeup to make themselves look drawn and haggard because they haven't eaten in so long. Now, notice this. Nothing wrong with fasting. The Pharisees were told fasted two times a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Nothing wrong with fasting. As a matter of fact, notice what Jesus says. says. Did you notice this? Jesus didn't say, if you fast. What did he say? When you fast. What does that mean? It means he expected that there would be times when his followers would fast. What is fasting? Well, I want to tell you right up front, fasting is not a divine diet. All right? So you hear about the God-ordained diet and all these different kinds of Bible names, diet. There's a good Hebrew word for that, baloney, okay? (laughs) And don't eat too much of that either, okay? We produce enough for everybody. What is, what is fasting? Fasting is this. It's abstaining from physical food for spiritual purposes. It's abstaining from physical food. I will say usually because you may abstain from something else, it seems in the Bible, for focusing on God. But it's abstaining from that which would be typically received by your body for spiritual purposes. We're told in the Bible people would pray as an ex- with fasting as an expression of repentance. Or when you need wisdom, Lord, what are you saying? I need to hear clearly what you're saying. You may be called to a time of fasting to, to sharpen by God's grace your perception to his voice. Or maybe you, you know there's a new Beginning, maybe a new job or a new school, or you sense there's a new calling on your life, and you're asking God to prepare you, even as Jesus was prepared for the new season in his life with fasting. Or maybe just to intensify your prayer life so that you remind yourself physically that I need you, Lord, more than my my physical food. These are all biblically supported types of fasting. But let me say this quickly about fasting. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without praying. Fasting in the Bible is always connected with intensity of praying. You can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. Jesus commended it. It's worthy. Jesus practiced it. Well, what makes it worthless? It becomes worthless when it's self-focused. You, a person wants everybody to know I'm fasting. I want to look like I'm fasting. 
then it becomes self-focused. And if worship becomes self-focused, what is it, friends? It's idolatry. It's all about us. It's not about God. And it's very easy for evangelical Christians to actually practice idolatry if they do things for the view of others. You may have come into this room this morning and you're only here because you're concerned what people might think if you weren't here. Or you're here because you want people to see that you're here. You're not here to do business with God and praise Him and love Him. And I want you to tell you, friend, you need to come to grips with that is idolatry. And you can practice it sitting in an evangelical Bible-believing church just like this one. Not one of us here nearly as religious as the Pharisees. If you do that, if you go through the religious observance without heart, what you've, you're paid in full. Paid in full. What is worthy fasting? What's worthy fasting? Here's worthy fasting, verses 17 and 18. But when you fast, anoint your head. Wash your face. Sometimes these Pharisees would actually not take care of themselves so they would smell religious. <laughs> I don't get that at all. <laughs> Anoint your head. Put on that best cologne. Put on that nice perfume like canal number five or... Or, or Gene Nate. You put that on. Don't look like you're fasting. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. Now let's stop here for a moment. Isn't this interesting? The Lord talks about rewards. Rewards for Worthy worship. You know what? Some of us, we back away from that. And I can understand. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't want to live for rewards. And part of me says, come on. <laughs> you know, we're in church right now, right? Well, what do you want to live for? What, what are you living for? He said, well, I don't want to live for rewards. Well, the problem is here, listen, listen. Our problem is we have a misunderstanding of rewards. We think we're living for more rewards in heaven so we can go to heaven and probably in our hearts sing, my mansion's bigger than your mansion. My mansion. <laughs> oh, is that crown? <laughs> is that your crown? Oh, this is my crown. And we have this crazy idea. That's what rewards are. Do you know what the reward of worship is? Friends, listen. The reward of worship is God himself. Amen. He is our reward. Amen. We are like the priests and the Levites of the Old Testament. We have no portion of the land here. God himself is our heritage and our exceeding great reward. 
The reward of worship is to experience God. That's the reward. Now and forever. And it will be a reward that's out of this world and beyond our imagination. No more night. No more pain. No more tears. Never dying again. No sighing again. God is the reward. Never forget. Here's something. When you, you wonder whether you should fast, only fast as you're led by the Spirit. But let me tell you something. A hunger, a hunger for God can only be satisfied by God. Let me tell you something, my friend. God has placed eternity in your heart. That's what Ecclesiastes says. You know what that means? There's a God-sized hole in your heart. And you can put anything inside that hole and it'll never fill that hole. Doesn't matter the job. Doesn't matter the person, the career, the amount of money. You can put anything in there and it'll never fill that hole because you were created to know God. To be filled and completed by God himself. That's what worship is all about. And friend, when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you know who you're hungering and thirsting after? God himself. Because he is righteousness. We are worshipers. And we have to recognize that we can... Joy, personal times of worship with the Lord in giving. Yes, in fasting. But let me close with this. Most of all, Jesus talks about worthless or worthy praying. Worthless or worthy praying. He gives two examples of worthless praying. Now, why is this so significant? Because praying, praying is the most individual, most intimate response that any human being can make to God. So what would make my prayer worthless? Jesus gives two examples. Number one, if you're praying again for man's recognition. Praying for man's recognition. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There was much public praying in Jesus' day. Nothing wrong with public prayer. Every day in Jerusalem, 9 a.m., high noon, 3 p.m., blowing of the ram's horn, calling people to prayer as the sacrifice was offered on the altar. And all around Jerusalem, from that high Mount Zion, as they would hear the echo of that ram's horn, people would regularly stop and have a moment of prayer. Every day. That's the reason the Bible tells us of Daniel, even as a teenager, when he was carried off into a Babylon. What does it say? That Daniel did 
Even up through an old man, they said, you cannot pray to this God anymore, only to the man God, the king. What did Daniel do? (laughs) He went straight to his upper room, and as was his custom, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day. But Jesus makes a very interesting statement. It's interesting here. These people only wanted to pray where there were many people. You see that? They they only wanted to pray in the synagogue. They only wanted to pray on the busy street. No, that's that's their prayer life. It's only public. It's only about themselves. They're hypocrites. Their real motive is not to commune with God, but to be seen by people. And they're paid in full. That's all they're going to get. A second example of worthless praying is not just praying for man's recognition, but also, verse 7, praying with, listen carefully, meaningless repetition. Meaningless repetition. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they will be heard for their many words. This is interesting here. Jesus says, don't pray with vain, empty repetition. Now, let me say something very quickly here. We must keep our minds balanced biblically here. It's it's not that repetition itself is wrong. Repetition was commonly used in Jewish worship, in prayer, even in the songs of the Jewish people in worship. You know, I had someone several years ago say, you know, Pastor Sam, I don't like these praise choruses we're singing. Are there vain repetition? Vain repetition. I'm not sure they quite said it like that, but that's how it felt to me. Vain repetition. And you know what my answer was? I said, oh, you mean like Psalm 136? And the person said, well, I don't understand your point. I said, oh, you mean like Psalm 136 where 26 times the Lord says his mercy endures forever. 26 times the same phrase in one song. That's not vain repetition. That's victory repetition. His mercy endures forever. (laughs) Sing it over and over again. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about here are mindless words. It's interesting. The word here that's translated vain repetition or heaping up words... It, the word is bata logeo. And it, it me, literally means 
Bada word. Bada word. And you know what? They've never found anywhere in the Greek language ever that this word was ever used before or after. You know what it means? <laughs> it means praying like the heathen. How did, how did the heathen pray? Th this is onomatopoeia. This is what it sounded like. Bada, 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 bada. Bada, 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 bada. Bada, bada, bada. This is what it sounded like. Just chance, mindless chance, 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 religious chatter. Jesus said, don't, don't pray with mindless chatter. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. When it comes to prayer language, listen carefully. Paul said, I will pray in my spirit and I will pray with understanding. With understanding. We can't impress God by our many words. We can't impress God by the length of our prayer. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. The testimony of Dwight L. Moody. Great evangelist. He was kind of a type A kind of guy we'd say today. And one of the local pastors was offering a prayer. To start the service and he prayed on and he prayed on he prayed on and finally Dr. Moody stepped up and he said while our brother finishes his prayer let's sing with Mr. Sankey okay <laughs> whoa we don't influence God by many words you know we have to be careful in our own prayers that we don't just say repetitions without our minds engaged. Jesus said, that does not work with the true God. Verse 8, Jesus said this, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You know what the pagans thought? If you just wear this God down, just bug Him or bug her long enough and... They'll do something for you. He says, this is your father. How weird would it be if your child just followed you around the house? Father, 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 father. Now I know getting close to Christmas, something like that. Oh, dad, please, dad, dad. Woe is me if I don't get this. I'm undone. Wretched man that are tearing their clothes if they don't get that gift, okay? <laughs> Jesus said, listen. Know this about God. He listens. He knows. He cares. He's your father. He listens. He knows. He cares. God does not need badgering by prayer. What is worthy praying? Verse 6. Here's worthy praying. When you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. 
And your Father who's in secret will reward you. Again, he's not saying you never have public prayer. That's throughout the Bible. But he's saying in regard to the practice of your personal communion with the Lord, have a place. Shut the door. It's interesting. Your room here in the context often meant the inner room where you keep your treasures. Your father's your real treasure. So go in there in your treasure room and enjoy the great treasure of life. Knowing God as your father, pouring your heart out to him. That's what the Lord is talking about. Personal communion with God. That's who we're talking to. One time at the National Day of Prayer service, a man opened the prayer. Happened to be President Lyndon Johnson was president at that time. The man sat down and he said, Pastor, why didn't you speak up in your prayer? I couldn't hear what you were saying. The pastor said, Mr. President, I wasn't speaking to you. <laughs> Boom on the big Texan that day. How we forget the privilege of prayer. What could talking with the President of the United States be when compared to talking to the God of the universe? And recognizing you're talking to Dad. That's what the word Father means here. You're talking to your Father. Do not be like them. Your Father, Abba, knows that you what you need even before you ask. It, Jesus just wants us to get this. Do you know how many times he calls God Father in this one sermon? Fifteen times. No one had ever called God their personal father, Abba, before Jesus. And now Jesus uses it 15 times, but he says what? He's your father. You don't have to go through this whole show of hypocritical worship. He loves you. He knows you. He cares for you. You see, listen carefully. You want to change your worship and make sure it's authentic. I'll give you one word to keep in the front of your mind. And it will make things right every time. Remember the word Father. I'm singing to my father. I'm talking to my father. I'm giving to my father. And guess what? Over a period of time, you know what? Listen carefully. Your expression of worship will be to an audience of one. There may be a thousand present. But for you, it's an audience of one. Father changes everything. An audience one. Now, can we do that as we go to a very 
sacred, religious, spiritual expression of taking communion. Would you bow your heads with me? Please, don't prepare to leave. I recognize that some may because of responsibilities, but for all of us, don't prepare to leave, prepare to worship. How do we keep all this straight? Well, the Lord gave us the model prayer. The model prayer, whether you say the exact words or you follow the pattern, will keep all this straight. So here, let's enter into this prayer before we take communion. Think about his name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Think about his kingdom. Do you want his kingdom to come in your life? Do you want to expand his kingdom by your life? Do you pray, earnestly pray, that his kingdom will come to this earth when the king returns? His will. Your will be done. What is before you right now that maybe you're trying to control or it's overwhelming you, you don't understand. You're like Jesus in Gethsemane. Would you say, Father, your will be done. His provision, your needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, you know our needs. Not, I'm not, I want you to help me to understand the difference between my needs and my greeds. Lord, you know the needs. Father, meet this need. His forgiveness, our sins. Lord, forgive my debts. Sin is a debt against God. Forgiven on the basis of Jesus. Right now. Father, for Jesus' sake, forgive my debt. And Lord, by the strength of Jesus, I forgive. Fill in the blank. I forgive. I release him. I release her. Because I've been released. His direction. Our deliverance. Lord. Don't lead me into temptation. I'm so prone to it, you know. Lord, Lord, 
I need your direction. Guide my feet. Guide my steps. Lord, you know my enemy. The evil one. Conquer him, Lord Jesus, again and afresh and new in my life. Overcome all of his seeds in my life. Father, I don't belong to this world. I don't belong to the God of this world, the devil. I belong to the God of eternity, my heavenly Father. I'm a follower of Jesus. Don't let me wander into the darkness. Bring me back from the darkness. Dear Father.